and praise the Lord, everybody. Why don't we stand together? He's worthy of the highest praise. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. While you're standing, join me in the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. Uh, excuse me, chapter 2, rather. 1 Peter, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses in your hearing. Hallelujah. It is good to be with you all today in the house of the Lord. Been gone the last two Sundays and uh, glad to be home. Amen. Hallelujah. Glad others are home too. <laughs> Our quizzers are back and uh, Youth Congress uh, group and staff, of course, they're downstairs, but they're back and on fire. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And from these verses, I want to minister on this title and topic today. You are God's house. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, this is your church, not ours. Uh, Lord, you're the head of the church. Uh, God, we're just your body. We're your people. You and your word alone can save and deliver and heal us because you know everything. You declare the end from the beginning. Your word is anointed and appointed for this moment. So on the authority of your word, I bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit. Lord, let there be a demonstration of your power. Confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want to say, nothing more or less, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Praise the Lord. To all of you joining us online, welcome as well. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And um, Loretta, if you're watching, I'm waving. <laughs> and uh, you'll have to ask me about that later. But uh, we've got some people that have been watching. I met Loretta yesterday, but in Jesus' name. In 2004, just a couple of years ago, uh, Hard to believe that's almost 20 years ago now. I mean, think about that, folks. It's, now, don't think about that, right? But in 2004, we were living in Caribou, Maine, and uh, we decided uh, God had blessed, and we were able, uh, through some blessings of my father-in-law uh, working for us for virtually free and a few other blessings, that we were able to build our home in Caribou, Maine, and so was able to even design the layout myself, and that was kind of a fun experience. My father-in-law helped me and gave me some resources, and I was able to design the home the way we wanted it, put things where we wanted it. Um, Shannon chose all the colors. In fact, we made a pact that we'd heard a lot of couples get into arguments over things like that, and so we made a pact. I'll make the layout, and I'll do all the labor, and you choose the colors, and we'll just both be happy, and that really worked out for us. My sister-in-law, Jackie, at the same time, also had built a house. One of the things I wanted 
was um, a closet, I, my suits. I didn't want them dragging on the floor. So I, made, I designed a closet where they were up a little bit higher. And we both wanted, of course, our own private bathroom. And we did that and just a few other things. And it was really neat to do all that and experience that and get to have that privilege. And uh, working, of course, with my father-in-law and his help. And recently, him and, and my mother-in-law, Carol, just built a house. And they designed it the way they wanted to. And they, they set it up like they wanted to and, and did all the work. And, and he, of course, built it along with some help. The reason I'm giving you this brief history uh, and somewhat personal history of building a home is its application to the message that God has uh, given me to share with you today. My father-in-law, Earl, over the course of his life has designed and built hundreds of homes and even churches in his lifetime. And, and just as I was privileged to help him in 2004 build my own and also build Jackie's, God is the builder and the maker of our lives. Amen? You are God's house. Probably better said, you are one of the rooms or parts of God's house. And we'll get to that in just a minute. You see, God is the purchaser, the designer, and the builder. That means He has complete authority. Absolute authority. He alone can choose the color scheme, the layout, the design. If it's two-story or three, if it's a three-car garage or four, He is the one that can choose how it looks. And it becomes our privilege to let God mold and shape us into what He wants to be. I'm reminded of the prophet who said, the, the clay doesn't say to the potter, make me this way. It's moldable and pliable in the hand of the potter. And the potter is the one that chooses how that piece of pottery is going to look. And equally, we are God's house. First four of, of the text that I read today, coming to Him. Him, of course, is Jesus as a living stone. He's the living stone. He's rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Of course, Peter is building this upon Jesus' own words to him when he was alive. He's building it upon what the scriptures teach, and I'll go through a number of those today. And of course, he's obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. He, he mentions coming to him. Coming to him as a living stone, meaning we've got to go to Jesus. If we want to be the right type of house, if we want to be the successful people that God has for us, we've got to come to Jesus. Can I tell you, our world needs a come to Jesus moment, if they ever have. Amen. Our society needs to come to Jesus. And can I tell some prodigals that might be listening online, it's time to come home and come back to Jesus. Amen. Coming to Him as to a living stone. He is the living stone. Now, this is sort of oxymoronic because stones aren't alive. They're inanimate objects. But it's obviously a reference to the fact that like the cornerstone that was used in the ancient building processes that would measure everything from it, we have to come to Him. And He's a living stone. 
You know what that means? That means people 2,000 years ago had to come to Jesus. That means people, uh, all continents and, and all eras of time have had to come to Jesus. That means today, whether it's in Omaha or whether it's in Oregon, whether it's in Australia or whether it's in Africa, you still got to come to Jesus as a living stone. He's the living stone that we go to. There is no other gospel. There is no other message. Acts 4 and 12 tells us that He's that only name that we're saved by. He's the only way that we get to heaven. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's not multiple ways. There's not multiple truths. There's no. I know society wants to say there's my truth and there's your truth, but can I tell you there's only one truth and it's not just a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we have to come to Him. He is the foundation. Here's what's interesting. The Bible also calls Him the head of the church. So He's both the foundation and the head. He's both the author and the finisher. He's both the beginning and the ending. He's both the first and the last. Amen. You could just about say Jesus is all in all because that's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. And so... He's the perfect foundation upon which we are built. Do you know if you don't have a good foundation, you're not going to have a a very solid home? I remember when we were building then. Now, some of you that know me well know that one of my struggles is patience. Especially when it comes to drivers. Okay? Hallelujah. Got a couple of amens there. Some of you know because you also maybe have experienced that as well. Well, you know, we were building, and this one particular day, we had the the footing forms, the concrete footing forms laid out, and we are literally, and we're putting uh, pressure-treated plates on top to then, of course, build the the, the rest of the house going up. It was a, a raised ranch, so half of it was underground, half was above on that first floor, and then the other half, of course, was... You know, it was basically a story and a half. But anyway, anyway, I, I digress. So we're, we're laying this out. We've got the footing forms in. We're putting the pressure on. And we're measuring cross measurements and this measurements and this way. And literally all day. And, and I'm getting, like, you know, impatient. And my father-in-law can tell that I'm, like, ready to do something else. I'm ready to pound something or drill a hole or do something. We've been measuring all day and tapping and clicking and this. And he looks at me and he says, Myron, he says, I know you're impatient. He said, but trust me. He says, what we're doing now is making sure that everything is plumb. Because if we don't get this right, the house ain't going to be level. And I've never forgotten that day. I've never forgotten that moment as all of a sudden I realized, you know what? I need to slow down and make sure we're getting it right. If you want to color outside the lines when you're in your coloring book, that's okay. But when it comes to building a house, you better make sure it's plumb. You better make sure it's aligned. And that's what this is saying, that he is that living stone from which everything is measured. You have to make sure the foundation is right. And can I tell you plainly and lovingly, Jesus Christ is the sure foundation. There's, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to redo it. We don't have to build it again. It's a sure and firm foundation. Praise God. Amen. There was brick and mortar, of course, in the temple in Jerusalem. Just like there's brick and mortar and whatnot in our building here. But that brick and mortar was not the place where God intended to dwell. 
It was a temporary housing. It was to point to something, just like the tabernacle in the wilderness. It pointed to something, i.e. Jesus Christ. And, and, and now that the new covenant has begun, it's not a single solitary place. We don't have to travel. We didn't have to travel to Jerusalem today to worship. Nor did we have to build a replica of that same temple to come to to worship. Our building is designed like this, and you pick 20 other churches, and they're designed differently. Some have balconies. Some have windows. Some don't. Some are bigger. Some are smaller. But as long as Jesus Christ is the foundation, as long as His Word and His doctrine is what is taught, preached, believed, experienced, but more than a building, we are His house. That means even if I'm at work on a Monday or at vacation on a Tuesday or with friends on a Wednesday, if I'm with the Gottman group on a Thursday in the park, I'm still the church. You're still the church. Praise God. We are the church and He is still our foundation. Praise God. But here's the sad part. Also in verse 4, it says, He was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Peter here is quoting from Isaiah 53, 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. John also mentions the rejection of Jesus in John 1, 11. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But while the Jews rejected Jesus and while still today people reject him, Thank God a remnant of the Jews accepted him. Thank God a remnant of the Jews were filled with his Holy Spirit and baptized in his name. And as well, thank God Gentiles were grafted in. Amen. And the church continues to grow. You see, Jesus wasn't starting just a denomination. He wasn't starting uh, buildings that, that had to be replicated. He was starting a movement that will go for all eternity because this movement, this everlasting gospel will eventually merge with the second coming when we will spend eternity with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And even though He was rejected... He's chosen by God and precious. This is what the Bible reveals in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah 42, 1, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one. That means chosen, precious and chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. I'm so thankful that that we had hope even before we knew that we were in sin. Amen. I wonder if we could just pause for a moment and thank God that He was wounded for our transgressions. Can we just pause a moment and thank Him that He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Amen. And with every one of His stripes were healed. Jesus, we thank You. We love You. Thank You for salvation. Thank You for coming and finding me in the pit of sin that I was in and bringing me out into the light of Your glorious truth. Hallelujah. Amen. I want him to be precious in my life. Amen. I want him to be something that I value. 
I'm thankful for my foundation today. Amen. I'm thankful, amen, that I've got a sure foundation to stand on. Praise God. Praise God. You know what's beautiful about that? Not everybody has a good family tree, a good history to lean back on. Not everybody has a loving mother or father or grandparents. And, and, and some don't come from, from a, a lot of things like that, that that they can lean back on. And, but I'm so thankful that when you're born again, you, take, you get a new family. I'm so thankful that when, you, when you're born again, you get a new foundation. You may not have had a good foundation in your physical life, but oh, when you were baptized in His name, when He filled you with His Spirit, you took on a whole new identity, a whole new name, a whole new family, and you've got a sure foundation that's tried and precious and will stand forever. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But here's what's interesting. He's the living stone, which again indicates that that the church is ongoing, that what he started wasn't just a one and done. It wasn't a flash in the pan. It was something that is continued. Did you know the church has reached every continent? Did you know his light, his kingdom has expanded beyond? Did you know kings? Did you know presidents and and leaders, world leaders, have heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? All the way from the slums to to the highest echelon of society, the gospel has been heard. Amen. That's what it was meaning by a living stone. That foundation continues. That building continues to grow. Praise God. But here's what he says in verse 5. You also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Here's what's beautiful about that. We can look back, and we can go back to, the, to the, where this was eventually laid, or, or, or initially laid, and that's when Jesus was here. Right? He comes, he's alive, lives, dies, rises again, ascends. Seven days later, what happens? The outpouring of his Holy Spirit. He's the rock upon which the church is built. Peter's just a stone. He's the rock. Don't get Matthew 16, 18 confused there. He wasn't saying, Peter, upon you, I'm going to build the church. The rock of that faith that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's what he's building it on. And that, that began to manifest. It started as 120. And then it spread to the, to the streets, and it was 3,000. And the next chapter, 5,000. And it just continued to grow. In chapter 6, you got a great company of priests who are saying, we realize you are the prophesied one, and, and, and they turned to Jesus. And, and then you got Acts 8, and it's Samaria, and Ethiopian eunuch, and then Acts 9, and, and it's, it's, it's Cornelius and the Gentiles, and Acts 19, and it's, it's some of John's disciples, and it continues to grow. I heard this week at Youth Congress, there was a bus driver that wanted to know more about this. And they prayed, I think it was a lady, prayed her through on the bus and she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's what it means by we're living stones. The church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to expand. And our family is continuing to expand. People we haven't even met yet are being born into the kingdom of God. Boy, what a day that's going to be when we meet everybody, huh? What a day that's going to be when we stand with Him in eternity and we worship one with another and we meet people who are a part of that great family. That's what it means by we're the living stone. 
He is the chief cornerstone. He's the, the living stone. But we're also living stones as we are born again of the water and the spirit. You see, I'm going to go back for a minute to the brick and mortar of the temple. When God lays out the tabernacle plan to Moses, he takes him, if you read Hebrews, he takes him into the heavenly places and shows him the blueprint. And the, and the layout was copies of the heavenly things. Did you know you could look at each part of that tabernacle and see Christ? He's the, the altar of sacrifice. He's the brazen laver. He's the showbread. He's the candlestick. He's even the veil, the Bible says, the new and living way. He's the ark of the covenant. He's all of it. And so it's, it's pointing to him. They build a temple. The glory of God fills that place. And, and here's what happened. Solomon misunderstood for just a brief moment God's purpose. He quotes from Exodus, and here's what he says in 1 Kings 8, 13. He says, I have surely built you an exalted house and a dwelling place for you to dwell in forever. This is at the dedication of the temple. And I, I can almost see God saying, well, not really, Solomon. Close, but no cigar there, buddy. You know what I mean? Right? You, you haven't quite contextually figured that out yet. And here's why I say that. Because later, when Solomon is praying the prayer, watch what he says. This is verse 27, same chapter. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Huh. Behold the heaven, and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have. He suddenly realizes, you know what? I had it wrong. But as I'm praying, I believe the Spirit of God came on him. And he realized, wait a minute. You're uncontainable. The heavens can't contain you. How much less can a building on earth contain you? That's why I'm trying to get you to understand the church is bigger than any one assembly. It's bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one denomination. Amen. The church is global. And it's unstoppable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The temple, unfortunately, became an idol to the Jews. And they had neglected to recall God's purpose for his house. You see, they turned it into something exclusively for them. But watch what Jesus says in Isaiah 56. And I'm reading the latter part of verse 7 into verse 8. He says, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. If you read the whole context of Isaiah 56, he's saying foreigners and, and eunuchs and all these can come. And yet, when Jesus comes, they've not done that. They prohibit people from coming in. They missed the whole point. They missed the whole purpose of what his house was supposed to be. But Isaiah had prophesied it. It wasn't supposed to be for one exclusive ethnicity. It was always supposed to be for everyone. And it was just a type and a shadow of what's to come in the church. That's why I love this church. And I know, I know I'm biased. I get it. I know I'm biased about TCOO, but I'm right. In part because I got the mic right now. <laughs> But, but I, love, I love the mosaic of our church. There's single and divorced. 
There's remarried. There's old. There's young. There's various ethnicities. There's people from all walks of life and backgrounds. But when we come together, it's not our differences that we look at. It's our similarity in that Jesus is the light within us. And that's what the temple was supposed to be because when he sets up the foundation of who he is, when he becomes the rock upon which the church is built, it's going to be for everybody. That's why he told the parable. He says, you go out and you fish and you get all kinds of fish and you bring them in. And what do you do? You start sorting them out. But I tell you, just go fishing. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with the ones that need to be sorted out. But bring them all in. Bring all kinds in. It's why he told another parable. He said, I want my house to be filled. Go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in I want my house to be full hallelujah I want people to come I want people to realize this is a place of refuge this is a place of hope this is a place of healing don't be fooled by a suit and a tie in the preacher this morning I've got a history I've got a past that's under the blood and we all could have a same testimony we've got to reach people where they are hallelujah so once again, as we thank God for what this is all pointing to and that we are that temple, we are that church, we have to realize that since we're his house, he's the foundation, he's the architect, he's the builder, he's the purchaser, he gets to design his house. Therefore, we should study his word. How can I please you, Lord? How can I more appropriately obey and be faithful to you and your word? You see, if we're to worship God, we must worship him the way he wants us to. I've heard people say, I worship God my own way. That's not biblical. Now, I know in part, maybe sometimes what we mean by that is, maybe you're an introvert and you're not going to be like me and go, Glory! Maybe you're not going to come down in the front and, and wave a handkerchief like I do. I, I understand that part of it, you know. And thank God, again, for, for diversity. We got, we got some people that jump and some people that, that kneel and, 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 you know, so praise God for all that. However, we must worship him the way he wants. And watch what he says in his word. John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and now is. <laughs> When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Mm. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must, it's absolute, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Don't let the spirit of Cain influence you and try to worship God your way. If he wants a lamb, don't bring him vegetables. Come on, if he wants a pure heart, don't bring him bitterness. Amen? Even David in the Old Testament had an understanding of this type of true worship. Listen to what he says in Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? And he answers his own question. 
those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. Foundation, remember. You see, a lot of times when a preacher starts talking about holiness, at least among some of our ranks, there seems to be this this pushback a little bit. Okay, he's going to talk about outward stuff. And that is important. How we look is important. And it's biblical. But if we're just whited sepulchers on the outside and full of dead men's bones on the inside, it don't matter how modest we are on the outside. And equally, if you're so pure in heart inside but immodest outwardly, you're still not holy. The Bible says that in order to perfect holiness in the fear of God, we've got to do so inwardly and outwardly. It's of the flesh and the spirit. Flesh outward, spirit inward. It's not either or, it's both and. And so we have to realize that since we are the sanctuary of the Lord, we have to worship Him the way He wants. You see, worship is not what we do on Sunday. It's not just what we do on Wednesday for an hour. It's not a small group here or there or a Bible study here or there. It's who we are every day. Well, it's good preaching. Yeah, I know, man. I'm telling you. Guy's on fire today. Oh, yeah. He's preaching to me, man. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. You didn't know your pastor was hearing voices, did you? <laughs> I want to be who he wants me to be. I want to please him and make him happy. I want to follow him. You know, I read the Bible when I find that they go their own way and do what they think is right in their own eyes. It don't end well. But I find that when they do what he says and follow his way, things turn out a whole lot better. I'd much rather be on that narrow path, as hard or difficult as it may be. I'd much rather be there than on the Broadway. Well, amen and amen. You see, God wants us to be his house. And he explains in verse 5 his purpose for his house. Watch what he says. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everybody say acceptable. If you were to study the book of Hebrews, I love that book. Working with a brother right now and we're studying through it. and I'm enjoying what we're seeing together and even just what it says and, you know, more things I can learn. I don't ever want to stop learning. But one of the the main things and the key things about Hebrews is this. It presents five main elements uh, revealing the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is superior to prophets, to angels, to Moses, to the priesthood of Aaron, and to the Old Covenant. His ministry, the New Covenant, is superior to the Old Covenant. He did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. 
If you look up that word fulfill or fulfilled throughout, especially the Gospels, you'll see time and again, this was done so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled. This was done so that thus and thus was fulfilled. He fulfilled it all. In fact, after he ascended, he talked with them from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and again, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, to show them that he was the fulfillment. He did not come to bring more of the same. He came to bring a shift. That's why he would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He was bringing a divine shift. Hey, you've been doing it your way. You've been worshiping the commandments of men. You've been shutting up the kingdom of heaven, but I've come to open it. I've come to reveal it. I've come to bring a better covenant. You see, the covenant of law is death, but the covenant of grace is life. The covenant of law was temporal, and it pointed to Jesus. And when it met him, it had its fulfillment. It had its ending. It's now obsolete because Jesus and grace are eternal. The priests had become a law unto themselves, changing and perverting God's truth to fit their agendas. You say, well, uh, Bishop, why are you telling us this? We're, we're, you know, that's the priesthood, right. And we're a royal priesthood. And if we do the same thing that they did, according to what Malachi teaches, we'll make the same mistakes they made. I don't want to be a royal priesthood that becomes a priesthood unto myself. I want to be a royal priesthood that does what he wants, a holy priesthood that says, how do you want it done, Jesus? You see, if you read Malachi, you'll find that they treated God contemptibly. They gave him inferior and imperfect offerings and took the good ones for themselves. Because of their contempt for God, he had no pleasure in their vain sacrifices. Can I tell you, if we bring God the leftovers, do not expect the blessings of God. Amen? I'm not going to bring the leftovers of my time, the leftovers of my money, the leftovers of my life. God deserves the best, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. How about you think of it this way? You want God to bless your, your finances? You want God to bless your marriage? You want God to bless your, your job? You want God to bless, uh, you know, uh, your life? <clears throat> Put him first. See what happens. Obey the scriptures and see what happens. I, I, I've come to the conclusion after 50 years of life that if we'll do what this book says, we can expect what this book promises. Hallelujah. 400 years later, after Malachi was written, Jesus would zealously go into the temple, fashion a whip and crack it in the air and turn over the money changing tables because they had made his house a den of thieves. I believe that Jesus is here. He's in us that are born again. He's, his presence is here. I believe that with all of my heart. But if Jesus were to walk into our church in a physical form, Brother Matt, I would pray that he wouldn't have to overturn any changing tables and, and he wouldn't have to, to crack a whip. But he would be able to come in and say, this is what I want. You're doing, you're doing what I want. You're, you're being pleasing. Your, your sacrifices are coming up as a sweet-smelling savor. I do not want God to be repulsed by what I do individually or what we do as a church. Amen? God wants us to be a holy 
priesthood, offering up acceptable sacrifices. Look with me in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. The key to holiness is asking God if it's acceptable to Him. Hallelujah. Holiness unto God is a blessing, not a burden. It is not an obligation. It is an opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. It is not about rules and regulations. It's about my relationship with Him. It is not a weapon of correction against God's saints. It is a weapon of protection against Satan. And since we're God's house and a holy priesthood, why don't we act and live in a way that's acceptable and pleasing to Him every day? You see, the strength of the language of 1 Peter chapter 2, 4, and 5 is describing an exquisite palace that's being built for God to dwell in. How many of you ever heard the passage from John uh, chapter 14 that talks about mansions? That phrase there in, the, in our King, New King James and King James Bibles actually is rooms. That's the better uh, word there in the Greek. And, and in fact... I didn't give you this scripture back there, but in Ephesians chapter number uh, 3, if you've got your Bibles, you can open with me real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm watching time. I know. i got four minutes. Give me a... Amen. Verse 19, three, nine, uh, excuse me, 219, not 3, I apologize. 219. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, so there's plurality there. Members, plural, household, you know, more than just one single building or room. Uh, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, now watch this. In whom the whole building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple. In other words, each of us represent like a room or a part growing into this massive mansion, this singular place. And he further says it in verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You see, so when he writes in John uh, 4, uh, 14 there, to talk about those mansions, to talk about those rooms, it's what he also saw, John, in Revelation 21, when he sees the bride coming down, prepared as this city. If we said the city of Omaha, the, the corporate city limits of Omaha, there's all kinds of different buildings within that city. There's tall skyscrapers. There's apartment buildings. There's homes. There's office buildings. There's storage buildings. But we don't describe the city in all of those. We just say the city of Omaha. Well, it's the same thing. In the church, imagine us being this big city. That's what he's describing here. And it's the principle of exponential unity. We know that one could put 1,000, two can put 10,000. In the same sense, we're the temple of God by ourselves every day, individually, but collectively. And, and, and here's how I want you to think on this. When I was ordained into the ministry, one of the preachers said, told this story. He said, where he lived, the grain trucks would come on. They would carry about 10 tons worth of grain. They would drive up onto the um, scale to be weighed, and he would go in and fill out the paperwork. And one of the operators would come out, Pastor Lucas, and he'd have a 10-ounce cup 
that he would scoop around, dump, scoop around and dump, three or four, five, six places, whatever. And he'd eventually scoop and, and, and bring a scoop in, and they would begin measuring uh, consistency, uh, whether it was wet or, or uh, dry and all of this. And 10 ounces initially judged 10 tons. Okay? And he made the point, he says, what you do, and I was in Maine at that time, what you do in Maine will affect me, and he was from Texas, in Texas, and what I do will affect the missionary in Africa, and what he does will affect, and it's the same for us. We're being built together. And so individually, I've got to make sure I'm a holy priesthood because when we link up together such as days like this, I want to make sure I've done my part to be holy because I am God's house individually, but together we are God's house. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray you would help us today that we would become more like you. Lord, that we would realize that what is so amazing about grace is that you've redeemed us from our sinful state to regenerate us into a spiritual house where you dwell and that we would work together knowing that the grace of God comes to teach us and to instruct us and that we would be like you in Jesus' name. If you would put up one more script. Oh, you already put the screen on. That's okay. Titus 2.15. I just want to say this real quick before we dismiss. And I'm reading from the New Living. It says, you must teach the, these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. I come to you in that spirit of love today with the authority of God's word, not my own, but the authority of God's word to say, let's all be what Jesus wants us to be. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you after the break.